Hi, you're listening to the Stefan Libera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, for episode 127, we've got Ben Perrin. But first, a message on behalf of the show's sponsors. First up, Kraken. One of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges, one of the longest standing Bitcoin exchanges with a strong reputation in the industry, Kraken have a high quality platform, high trading volume and low fees. They also offer 24-7 support and just recently they've announced Kraken Pro mobile app which you can find in the Google Play Store or Apple iTunes Store. Kraken Pro delivers all the security and features you love about Kraken Exchange, beautiful mobile first design. You can set the permissions on the Kraken website and generate an API key to sign in on your mobile app. Kraken offer margin, long and short, up to five times, and Kraken also have futures, up to 50 times leverage. Don't forget, there's Kraken OTC Desk for those who want a more private, personalized service for large block trades. Go to kraken.com to sign up. Next is Unchained Capital. You know I like what Unchained Capital are doing in terms of providing Bitcoin financial services, but also making a lot of valuable open source contributions. They are empowering customers with unprecedented financial freedom and control, and their products and services are built on the foundation of multi-sig. So they offer collaborative custody, giving users control over their private keys, as well as the benefit of a financial partner and financial services. Unchained offer two of three multi-sig vaults. These are a great option for those thinking about how best to secure their Bitcoin. Bitcoin for the long term, and if you ever need to access liquidity but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, Unchained's collateralized loans offer a unique option. All Bitcoin is stored on-chain, dedicated multi-signature addresses, the Bitcoin is never rehypothecated, and you can share in the security by holding one of three keys. Unchained are offering excellent services, they're releasing valuable content and open source tools such as Caravan and Hermit, so I think you'll enjoy partnering with them as well. So learn more at unchained-capital.com. Check out GiveBitcoin.io. Just recently went live. It's the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. Take it from me. I've given Bitcoin to people before and they lost it. They just didn't know what they were receiving. So GiveBitcoin can help change that equation because you can give, you time lock, and you educate. And you can time lock that between one to five years. And in terms of education, GiveBitcoin is delivering a lesson from a world-class curriculum. It's put together with input from many well-known Bitcoiners such as Safedean, Matt O'Dell, Jan Pritzker, and others. I'm also an advisor with a small equity stake assisting with the curriculum and it's christmas coming up so you can give and also get bitcoin as a present so put bitcoin on your wish list at givebitcoin.io i really think givebitcoin.io can have a positive impact on bitcoin adoption and understanding so i'm excited to have them as a sponsor Last but not least, CypherSafe. They are producing the Cypher Wheel product. Are you keeping your Bitcoin seed backed up? Is it done in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, petproof, tamper-evident? If not, look into Cypher Wheel. It's in the pre-order stage right now. It's a new product. It comes in a wheel shape and it masks the words of your actual seed unless you open the tamper-evident seal. So make sure your seed is backed up to help you in case your paper seed gets waterlogged or tampered or goes up in a fire. Make sure your loved ones have access to your Bitcoins if an accident occurs so go and check out the website cyphersafe.io so today my guest is ben perrin he's best known as the host of btc sessions a youtube channel talking about bitcoin and educating new bitcoiners so in this discussion i chat with ben about how he got into bitcoin and taking some of the insights from his prior career as a dance teacher and helping beginners avoid common errors and we talk about bitcoin tools and wallets running bitcoin nodes and comparisons of some of the node products and finally with an update on bull bitcoin and 21x here's the interview Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Look, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to see you around at the uh, Bitcoin conferences and obviously online on Bitcoin Twitter or on your YouTube channel. I know you're doing a lot of great work in terms of uh, helping educate uh, beginners into Bitcoin and teach them, okay, you've got to hold your keys, you've got to run your node, those sorts of uh, kind of basic steps that we need to try and educate people on. I'd love to hear a bit more about your story. How did you get into Bitcoin and how did you get into the whole YouTube thing? Yeah. Um, so I, I started hearing a bit about Bitcoin in 2013, um, you know, the headlines as it started its parabolic rise from from the last mania. Um, and every time I saw it, I was like, oh, I, I missed the boat. Uh, you know, oh, it's, it was ten bucks. Now it's a hundred. Ah, oh, no. Oh, it's a thousand. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As as everybody does. Um, but when it when it did kind of peak out in November, December of 2013, I figured, okay, well, there there must be something here. It's either like a a big Ponzi scheme, or there there's something to it. And so I I started reading 
um, it was a little bit harder to get your hands on easily accessible information back then, um, as as I'm sure many people would attest <laughs> to. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, you know, I started trying to parse through everything I could. Um, you know, in the early days, I think everybody kind of gravitated towards uh, people like Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, uh, I actually found a really good, uh, especially back then, I found a good series on, on I think it was uh, Udemy, and it was like uh, how to uh, stop worrying and, and, and love Bitcoin or something like that. And it had like a multi-part 45-minute each series on, on how Bitcoin worked and what could go wrong potentially. And so I, I probably spent about three months uh, diving into everything, trying to digest as much as possible. And, you know, I... I understood as deeply as I, as I could at the time. Um, looking back, I really knew nothing. Uh, but, um, I was confident enough to, to dabble and start, you know, okay, maybe I'll buy 50 bucks and, and see what happens. And so, um, my first purchase, uh, was from a, a local Canadian site. It was called like quick BT and you could buy it with debit and it gets sent to a wallet. I had to download uh, Bitcoin QT on my, uh, on my laptop and took like two days to, to load up. And yeah, so it was, it was a process. And when I finally made my first purchase, uh, the next day Mount Gox collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, the the messages because I had started talking about it to my friends and like the messages from, from some of my friends, I hope you didn't buy any of this trash. And, you know, like, you know, my Facebook feed was littered with with headlines. And, you know, so um, but I was lucky enough that I had taken those two, three months to actually read enough to understand the difference between the currency collapsing and just a poorly run business. Um, and so I was, I was kind of insulated from that. So like the, you know, asymmetric, uh, information, I suppose. And so I, I continued and, and I always said to myself, well, uh, if, if the principles that I got into this for were compromised, then I, I would step away. But if nothing has changed, then it, it would, it seemed to be just Bitcoin being Bitcoin and the markets being the markets. Um, and so I, I kind of, I bought the two-year-long dip. Is what I did. Um, but over the over a couple of years, I I kind of came to see that uh, education was a spot that could be worked on. And um, uh, so, in 2016, I started a YouTube channel uh, called BTC Sessions, and I just I said, "Hey, I'm gonna make a, a weekly video at the time um, on whatever I feel like, whatever I feel like is worth looking at, learning about uh, basics. How do you start a wallet? How do you secure Bitcoin? How do transaction fees work? Little things like that. Bits of information that I had found useful um, initially, and and. Uh, I started and and I just didn't stop and I'm still here. Uh, the channel's been around, you know, since beginning of 2016, roughly, and it's had it's getting pretty close to three million views right now, which is insane. It's crazy to think about, <laughs> so, right? Uh, how many subscribers do you have now? Uh, over thirty one thousand. So, and then there's you know the transients that come in and out and and uh, and watch but don't subscribe. So you know. I'm wagging my finger at you guys. Hit that subscribe button. <laughs> See, and that's the thing as well. Like I'm always trying to drive people towards who I think are good, solid people in the space, right? If it's YouTube, then I'm trying to drive them to you. If it's podcasts, obviously I tell them about my podcast or Tales from the Crypt or Noted, right? Yeah. Because there's a lot of charlatans, yeah. right? And especially on YouTube, you've got all these like crypto pumpy moon Lambo boys, <laughs> right? Uh. And so I, I do my oh. best to try and drive, you know, newbies and beginners towards good, solid channels as opposed to the pumpy Lambo boys. Yeah. And I've found that the, the education infrastructure has been built out much, much better over the past few years. Like there's so many great quality podcasts and YouTube channels and, and just walkthroughs and medium articles and just so many fantastic educators have come. And, and it's great to, to see that kind of proliferating. Right. And the thing is, there's always common beginner mistakes, right? So shitcoining, right? That's a common <laughs> yeah. one, right? So, oh, so yeah. you know, I'll try and get a beginner in and then at some point they will start asking those questions around, oh, 
do you only buy Bitcoin or do you have all, some of these other coins? And then at that point, you've got to mm-hmm. sort of take them down that rabbit hole. How do you approach that? It's so it's it's a a, a a tough one, and I've tried to tackle it. It's it's really difficult to give a to paint with broad strokes and say this will work for everybody because obviously everybody gets into Bitcoin for different reasons. Um, I find that uh, oddly enough, uh, even though this narrative gets pushed a lot, not a lot of people come to Bitcoin because they think I need something that's faster than my debit card. Um, so, so again, I tend to ask, well, what interested you about Bitcoin? What, what did you see that you thought, wow, this changes a lot? Um, and a lot of the time it's, either the sound money aspect of it or the censorship resistance or kind of like the, you know, sticking it to central banks, a, an option outside of your local currency. Um, a, a lot of those narratives are what sparks people's interest. And so when I say, well, then why, why are you looking at whatever coin, this coin? They say, well, it's, it's even faster. I'm like, well, was, was speed what you came for? Was that what really drew you in? Um, you know, because I mean, if if you tap your debit card and you're going, oh my god, this <laughs> is incredible, um, then wonderful. Uh, but things, I, I think we've come to learn what Bitcoin's strengths are at its base layer, and and what kind of those hard promises of monetary sovereignty, um, ha- you know, why why people value it. And, it, you know, it, I think it's time to move beyond the Roger Veras of the world that are it's 2019 and they're still doing videos of like scanning a QR code and having their mind blown by zero confirmations. <laughs> like it's 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 time to dive a little deeper. And I'm not saying that necessarily for brand new people. Yes, sure. Show them show them a lightning transaction because it, it's cool. It's cool to see initially. Uh, but I think drawing drawing their eyes to the important aspects of why Bitcoin was necessary in the first place. So I, I did a, me- a Medium article uh, I, at some point this year, uh, quite a bit earlier in the year, um, and I, I called it My Path to Bitcoin Maximalism. I read that one. That was a great one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, And it was just... It was more to outline um, kind of the ethos, or at least the things that drew me to Bitcoin, and and why I've you know I started with Bitcoin, and then obviously you get started, in, and there's the inevitable skew into shitcoinery, uh, <laughs> as as ev- everybody dabbles in certain amounts. I imagine whether it's looking or holding or or trading or whatever. Um, but then obviously the more I learned, it actually drew me back. So I wanted to draw this thing out and kind of point to the fact that Bitcoin maximalism is not closed mindedness. It's, it's actually the more I educated myself, the more my focus came back to Bitcoin and realized that all of these other coins are in some way not checking a particular box, um, and and so yeah, I, I think that's important. And so I kind of drew out those arguments in that medium article. Uh, the the crypto economy did a, a reading of it. So if anybody's not uh, down to read a long medium article, you can always audio that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And um, that that reminds me a little bit of my earlier chat with Matt O'Dell, where he spoke about how a lot of shitcoins market themselves by not telling you about a certain trade off that they have made. Right, somewhere along the way. They made a deal with the devil, right? And they did something mm-hmm. in some way that impinges on its centralization and so on. So I think that's uh, something that you're speaking to there as well. Yeah, I mean, the, there's a lot about it. Um, so a lot of these projects pride themselves on being able to make quick changes in the name of innovation. But really, if you think about it, Bitcoin is built upon hard promises of sound money, of uh, immutability and censorship resistance. And when you can turn on a dime to change the base layer protocol and change those hard promises, then those hard promises are worth absolutely nothing. Um, And so these 
these snap decisions to hard fork when it comes to Ethereum or I, what did I see? I saw something from I I think it was a quote from Vin oh, Vin the Armani, guy. Uh, the, the B Cash guy, and he was talking about how he was talking about how every six months there should be a hard fork, even if there's nothing to do, just just to prove that we can innovate and and something he said something about governance and i was like oh god like that is so missing the point we need to put in place these hard promises that cannot be screwed with so that down the line when you get somebody in a position that wants to do something like increase the supply cap it's impossible for them to do it the sooner Bitcoin ossifies, the better for me. Right. And uh, so let's say I'm a beginner and I come to you, Ben, and I say, oh, Ben, um, but I heard there's this other coin and it does governance better. Why shouldn't I buy that coin? Oh, God. Well, so <laughs> I I typically point to the fact that that people are imperfect. And so when when you're relying on really any government, if you give that government a lot of power over say the the money supply sure at the time those people in a position of power may do the right thing but what about the next guy or the next guy in power like it's it's an inevitability that at some point down the line somebody will do something that's probably against everybody else's best interests but is in their best interests and so when I look to Bitcoin, it is incredibly difficult to get these these changes put through. I mean, getting a backwards compatible uh, <laughs> upgrade to the protocol that allowed us to have more transaction throughput and fixed a malle- transaction malleability was damn near impossible. <laughs> like to get SegWit through was a battle, and and but that's the way it should be. That's good. That's a great thing. Um, when you when you see these kind of quick changes, again, it just when you look at any type of governance beyond me choosing to run my own node and set my own rules, uh, if you're pushing any of that responsibility to a third party, you're losing power. Uh, you're losing your own sovereignty. Um, and so I, I typically say the easier it is for you as an individual to have as much power over your own money and your own monetary supply as possible, the, the better it is for you in the long run. And so when a, a coin comes along and says, hey, look how quickly we can do things. Hey, look at our fancy governance model. Um, I don't I don't think that's interesting. I don't think that's a place where I want to go. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult to convey, but it's, uh, a necessary hurdle that have to, people have to get over because they're so used to worshiping politicians and, oh, that's my guy. That's the guy who's going to get my vote because he's going to do the right thing. And then, you know, they never do. And so it's, it's, it's very, I mean, Bitcoin does, I suppose, have governance in a way but it's just messy as all hell. <laughs> and that's that's kind of how it should be, right? Like you, you don't want it to be easy. If nobody's happy, then you're probably in a good spot. <laughs> if everybody's <laughs> if everybody's angry and fighting and can't get anything through and it's a pain in the ass to change, then we're probably sitting in a pretty great place, to be honest. Right, yeah. And I think uh, the best on this is uh, a tweet by... Our friend, Michael Goldstein, uh, he's got that, yep. the Mexican standoff and there's like three guys all with like guns pointed at each other. And he says, this is Bitcoin governance, right? So a hundred percent. It's, it's beautiful because ev- everybody has power, but they don't. It's, it's this weird kind of dichotomy of like, yeah, I, I get to say how things go, but, but kind of not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's weird, but it, it works. It's it just works, right? We've it's coming up on eleven years, and it has worked, in my opinion, beautifully. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and it's also kind of it's it's lent itself to uh, a mindset of questioning everything, and and people tend to shit on Bitcoiners for just being 
really abrasive and in your face about their views. Um, you know, you see the back and forth with like Wasabi and Samurai. You see teams attacking each other and calling each other out. My boss, Francis, at Bull Bitcoin is is no stranger to just shit talking all over Twitter. But it's it's kind of a beautiful thing in its own right, because as, as much as people get stressed out because of it, it it solidifies the hell out of what Bitcoin is. And and it's just this bullshit averse group of people that will stop at nothing to make sure shit is fair. And I love it. Yeah, right. Yeah, everyone's calling each other out to try and uh, and look again. People have their own uh, interests in it as well, right? People have products to sell and so on. But at the same time, people try to keep each other honest. Another topic that I think is common for beginners, and I get this often, is people who come to me saying, "Oh man, it's like it's it's dropping a bit. I want to wait a bit to buy some, or you know, or trying to get into the whole trading game." Right? What's your view on that? And how do you explain that when a beginner comes to you and says, "Oh Ben, I, I want to wait for it to come cheaper before I buy any"? Well, so uh, a lot of those people they they come to me and they they spout the you know buy low, sell high. Everybody knows what they should do. Nobody does. What they, what they <laughs> I guess, technically should do, um, and so, and and so, a lot of the time when when people uh, come to me and they say, "When's a good time to buy?" I'm like, "Okay, so what got your interest? What what? Uh, why are you asking me about this now?" And a lot of the time, the answer will be, "Well, I saw the price go up." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, so so you're looking at it now. You're looking to buy because." the price is appreciating and you're and so what do you think you're going to do if you buy only because the price has gone up what do you think you're going to do when the price goes down you are going to sell if the only reason you bought is because the price is going up you're going to sell when the price goes down so i typically say um your level of investment or how much capital you allocate to something like bitcoin should more or less directly reflect your knowledge of the underlying asset. And so uh, I say, you know, if if you're just getting started, start with a small amount, you know, maybe 50 bucks or something and and use that to play around with some real capital so there's a little bit of money on the line, but learn learn about a wallet, test sending it around. Start to ask some questions when you come across, well, what the hell does this mean? What, what is, what's this fee that's attached? How does that work? It just doing that will make you ask some questions, but it also gets you learning at the same time. And it puts some money on the line. And, and I try to get people actively learning with, with, um, a minimum amount of money into it, um, before they start diving in. And then I say, okay, if you feel like you've learned something and you feel like you start to understand maybe every time you have like an epiphany maybe st- start to allocate a little bit more that if you're comfortable um but but take your time uh, and i think that's it's a it's a huge inverse to what people hear when they start shitcoining right because if somebody's somebody comes out, they're like, "This one's going to it's going to hundred x," and they're you know, "Buy please buy my bags, please God buy my bags." Is basically what they're saying, and and so uh, to hear the opposite when somebody comes, oh, should I should I buy Bitcoin? And I more or less say, "Well, uh, not much, definitely not much right now," and then as you learn, maybe. Um, and I think more or less that actually makes people a little bit more confident because it's not the scammy shill fest of, oh, buy this, you're going to be rich. Um, it's more the let's take a reasonable approach and actually learn. And I'm, you know, I'm always confident that in doing that, people will be more convinced than saying, oh, yeah, buy a ton because it's probably going to go up. Like that's what, that's what people want to hear, but that's not what I'm going to tell them. I'm going to say, well, what, what do you think? Well, like, why do you think this is important? And I want them to ask me the questions of why is this, why is this not a scam? Why, why won't it disappear? Why won't my wallet go missing tomorrow? Why won't somebody just steal this 
So I, I want to hear those questions and I want to guide people towards those kind of tentpole moments where they suddenly realize why somebody can't just go and change the ledger and change their balance. And I want them to have those, those epiphanies on their own accord, but I want to lead them in that direction. Right. Yeah. And so let's talk through your process with a beginner then. So what are some typical tools that you might recommend? Are there any wallets that you like to tell them about phone ones, hardware ones? Where do you start? Mm -hmm. So, so I put together, um, a little blog post with a, a ton of tutorial videos that I've done. Um, now it's, it's kind of geared towards, I, I suppose, Canadians because, um, uh, because some like the buying and selling videos, I can only work with stuff that's available in my country. But, um, so I tend to funnel people towards right now, uh, uh, Blockstream green. Um, I like that as a mobile wallet. Uh, it's, pretty simple to operate as far as a regular wallet goes, but it also has some of the advanced features for down the line. Like you can connect it to your own node um, very simply. And, and so you're running it trustlessly, but uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting an individual to do that two seconds out the gate from learning what Bitcoin is. Um, now, one of the, yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll start with that. Blockstream Green, I typically, I like to drive people towards cold card as, as a storage hardware wallet solution. Um, but I'm, all, I'm also a realist and I know that a, a brand new beginner is not necessarily going to understand uh, UTXO management. That's, that's not something that it t- it took me years to even know that Bitcoin wasn't just sitting in a, as a balance in your right. wallet, it's but it was account. actually, yeah. yeah, it's not an account. It's, it's, you know, there's, there's UTXOs, bits, tiny pieces of Bitcoin that still remain separate until they are combined into a transaction. So a lot of users aren't going to understand that. And, and so I, I suppose my tactic tends to be, incremental wins um and what i mean and people are probably not not going to uh like this initial thought but but stick with me um people shit all over uh custodial any sort of custodial solution and so do i um but as a demo um uh, sometimes i will utilize that as that initial wow factor of, oh, that worked quick. So you get something like a blue wallet or a wallet of Satoshi where it's like a lightning custodial um, and they tap a button and there's a wallet there. And then I send them a hundred Satoshis and it pops up in a half a second and they go, oh, that was easier than I thought. And, and the difference there is that the initial sit down time to get them slightly interested was way less than, okay, so we're going to write down this 24 word seed and then we're going to practice a backup and then we're going to uh, send a transaction and we're going to wait on a confirmation so that you can then send back. And so it, it gets me in the door and that allows me to then have the conversation of, so this is a custodial wallet. And, you know, not as good for, um, you know, financial sovereignty or whatever kind of angle I want to take with it. But it's, it's, it's better to do it trustlessly on your own. And I, then I can go down that segue of, well, why is that bad? Well, you know, bank accounts can shut your accounts um, and just kind of drawing those comparisons. So I like to go for those incremental wins. Okay, great. You used a custodial wallet. What does it mean to hold your own keys? And then they go, oh, oh, so like I actually have power over my money when I do this. And you start to guide them down that path. And some people might not like that approach of starting custodial. And I don't always, it depends on my time frame, But as an example, uh, there's there's a good friend of mine. Um, I've known him for years. His name is Dave. Uh, he was actually in, if if any of you viewers have seen it, but I did a, a, a 
an ad for bull Bitcoin that was like a an ode to shit coiners that have been wrecked. And, and it's so it's like it's a bunch of like homeless looking dudes in the streets, like holding signs after they've like lost their money on like Bcash and Ethereum and Ripple. And and so he's the guy in the ad that's the Ethereum guy. Uh, so, <laughs> right. so, so if you, if you search up that, that bull Bitcoin thing, uh, you'll see him, but anyways, so he was one of my biggest skeptics. He's one of the guys that emailed me after Mount Goss collapsed and was like, I hope you didn't buy any of this shit. <laughs> um, and <laughs> <laughs> so, but he gradually came, came around. And so he, he got himself a non-custodial wallet in like 2015 and, and, but then deleted it or something and and so further cemented his his disdain for bitcoin for another couple of years um and you know made the beginner mistakes but gradually came around and so now through osmosis just from being around and having the opportunity to say like okay try this and then he sees me doing something and he goes oh that's cool what what is that why is that better and so he's gone from i have a wallet on my phone to I, you know, I bought myself a treasure to, oh, wait, now I actually want a cold card. Oh, wait, now I want to play around with Electrum. Wait, maybe I should mix my coins through Wasabi. Wait, what's that node you just set up? Why is it important to have a node? And he starts asking those questions. And so he's gone from plunking down and being convinced that he wants to buy bags of XRP and Tron to now sitting down with me setting he's in the process of he's going to be grabbing a node and setting it up himself and linking his hardware and software mobile wallets and everything to the node and having like full financial sovereignty and he's bitcoin only and he's gone through this incredible transformation and education in like a year and a half and and it blows my mind because it's it's so much faster than my learning curve was in the early days. And I think it's it's the approach that has been taken of, of getting the person curious and then letting them know that there's a there's an incremental, easy to achieve next step to be even more sovereign and be even more solid to have that base, uh, that that like impenetrable. F- fortress of of monetary sovereignty and so i i think people need to do to indeed uh go after those incremental wins i think too often being hardened maximalists and bitcoiners we think everybody out the gate better run their own node and be learning command line um but like let's be real we got to think, what's the goal here? What is the goal? We want this system to be as robust and decentralized and trustless as possible. And how do we get there? If a newcomer comes in and you you go over and you're like, you idiot, you can't, you have to run a node. And like, if, if we, if we're out the gate with that, we've already lost that person because they're just going to go grab a custodial wallet right away and never stray away because we've just inundated them with too much initially. But if you say like, yo, like, cool, you learned how to do a transaction, um, maybe try this wallet out instead because it's more secure and you have more control over your money. And then, you know, then go down the the path of, you know, maybe let's look at privacy. Maybe let's look at cold storage. Let's look at, so uh, there, I think there's a path to get there and it's incremental and not everybody will go all the way down the path, but I think more people will go further by attacking it that way. Yeah, that's a great way to think of it. I think the incremental approach is definitely uh, a good one. I've in the past had difficulty where I would just sort of give a few pointers, but I wouldn't like actively work with them and actively step them down that journey. Whereas nowadays, that is what I'll do. If I'm working with someone, I'll actively say, hey, hey where are you at now? Okay, next step, here, here you go. Let's yeah. get you on a cold card. Or hey, next step, let's get you on a node. Things like that. Now, one thing that's a little difficult there is technical precision versus ease of explanation mm-hmm. right so in the past yeah. we have you know uh, there have been a lot of inaccurate analogies made and sometimes that's difficult because you're you're trying to simplify it for somebody but then at the same time that can lead them astray later on so for example 
addresses as an account, right? Because it's an imperfect mm-hmm. analogy and that can lead to conceptual errors, privacy problems, address reuse. What's your view around navigating that? Uh, it, it is a tough one because the inclination is to uh, use the easiest explanation at the time to get through it. And, and it's a tough one because there's no one size fits all for this. You need to look at the individual and and almost, uh, this sounds bad, but almost gauge how stubborn they are. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, if you tell somebody one thing and they're going to be like, okay, this is what I believe and I'm just going to stick with that. And they're not going to be capable of, of being like, oh, I have more information and so my views can now be altered and I, I can move forward with this new information and and, and adapt to it. Um, if they're not going to be capable of that, then then you might need to say, okay, we'll, we'll tackle this little bit, give them a bit of information. But if it starts being too much, you need to have that finesse and that, that know-how to to say, okay, your eyes are glazing over a little bit. Don't worry. I know this is too much right now. So focus on this little bit of information. So like when somebody says, oh, why, why did my account change when like it, a new address pops up? You'd be like, well, it's not exactly like that. Think of it like there's, there's a, a master account and for privacy sake, every time you receive money, it's like having a new, a, 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 a a new temporary account address, I suppose. Um, and, and it's not a good idea to reuse those because you could compromise uh, how much money you're holding. And, and, and that's enough. They don't need to realize that every, every received transaction is sitting as a separate uh, sum that can be combined or, or you know split into separate ETX. So you don't need to dive into that yet. Just say, you know, it's one master account. You're going to see all the Bitcoin that you have here, but there's a new address every time and it just helps with privacy. You don't need to dive that deep right away. And so again, it, it, it beckons to that incremental approach where how much can somebody handle in one sitting? <laughs> and it's it's not a lot. Um, so I, I should, one thing I want to say is, a lot of the reason for my approach is because of a bit of my my background prior to Bitcoin, um, and so I, I <laughs> uh, before Bitcoin, I used to teach uh, school children how to break dance. <laughs> so 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 let me let me explain why this actually lent itself uh, to to this kind of where I am now. Um, so the first time I started teaching dance to kids, uh, I went in with some like jam-packed, super intricate choreography. And I was like, well, if I just teach it slow enough, they'll pick it up. And even though the dance is, is fast, I can just, I'll just like slowly go through the moves. And then when I play the music, they'll be fine. And it was an, an absolute train wreck. And it was like the worst, uh, it was a terrible job. And so over the years, I learned that you really need to break things down to their lowest common denominator. Um, It has to be bite-sized. It has to be way slower than you think necessary. And the transition from teaching dance, from teaching school-age children complex dance moves to teaching adults complex technology is actually a lot more similar than you would think. Um, Because as long as you have an understanding of what's underneath and you have an understanding of people's thought process and what they can handle in a single sitting and what you have realistic goals of what you want to accomplish, you'll have a much better time making progress than if you just try to blow through it all in one sitting. Um, And I think not enough Bitcoiners realize this. So, So start small, start easy, start incremental. And that's kind of what has guided my way of explanation. Right. Yeah, I, I love that approach. And I think there's there's definitely a lot of parallels there. Uh, one and other kind of related idea is sometimes in Bitcoin, there are what we might think of as application level controls versus more Bitcoin and cryptography, right? So the app might have a pin on it, but that's not re- necessarily related to the underlying 24 word seed and passphrase, right? And for a beginner, again, that can be super difficult, right? Because they think, oh, I just remembered my pin. That's all I need, right? But it's like, no, no, actually, you need your passphrase and the seed to have the backup. 
So how do you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, you could say, I mean, I guess there's a few different ways you can analyze it. You you can you can say that obviously your your path your uh, your 24 word or 12 word seed is is kind of like the master key to to your and I know people don't like the the word account but I I I always allude to that because it's something it's something that people are familiar with. So I say, well this is this is the key to your account your your more or less your account even though it's not an account with with a company or anything. Just imagine there's like this giant safety deposit box in the sky. <laughs> and this is this is your key to to the account. Um, so you need this. It's it's just like a key. You can create a copy of it. Um, but if you only have one copy of this key and you lose it, nobody else is going to be able to get into your account, including yourself, ever again. Um, when there's a PIN number, in addition to that, I could say like, well, that's the PIN number just to get in the door to get access the safety deposit box um, on your phone. But again, it's it's just... I think it's easy to separate out the pin number for the app versus the actual, you know, the the actual twelve word phrase. I've never had too much of an issue with that. I just say, well, you know, if if somebody gets your phone and they you don't want them to get into the, your app very easily, you put a pin on it, right? That's that's the security there. Um, but if somebody has your passphrase, they can still sweep your account. They don't need the pin number. That's kind of universal, and and I can. When people start asking about, well, I don't understand this. This app holds my money. It doesn't. It's it's more like a browser. You know, there's there's Chrome, there's Firefox. A browser gives you access to the internet. This application is one option of many to give you access to the Bitcoin network. Um, and so when I start to explain it like that, it tends to be a little bit clearer. Uh, but you got to attack it from whatever the problem the person is having. Yeah, no, I love that. That's great advice. And uh, you mentioned this earlier, but uh, there's this question around whether beginners to Bitcoin will be brought in via Lightning, just directly into Lightning, or whether they come into Bitcoin. Now, there's a couple of different things to think about here, because obviously, if you're bringing up Lightning, now you've got to think about channel management, submarine swapping, inbound liquidity. Are you running it off your own node? I mean, there's all these things that you could explore. So what's your view about getting somebody in into Lightning straight away? Or into just standard on-chain Bitcoin transactions. Uh, it depends on our timeline. Like at the time of recording this, uh, I think both are probably fine. Um, Lightning is Lightning would would have the wow factor of it's instantly there and instantly spendable. So if that's kind of if you just want that that cheap thrill that sometimes lights up the eyes of a newcomer then yeah that's that's wonderful that's great uh but right now a regular bitcoin wallet that is a full you know you have your backup phrase and everything and its main chain i think that's fine right now we will hit a point where it's not and then we've got to consider what is what's the onboarding method? Now there are some great um, non-custodial Lightning wallets on on mobile. So uh, one awesome one, and TFTC Matt O'Dell did a, a video on this one. Breeze B R E E Z. So it's non-custodial. It goes through Neutrino. So um, you, you're actually running a Lightning node on your on your phone, um, but they also give you inbound liquidity right away. Now, I don't know how scalable that is, but while they're still doing that, that's a great solution. And hopefully more solutions like that will pop up. So it's instantly usable and you get inbound liquidity, but it's non-custodial. Um, I'd love to see a lot of that popping up. Um, so then if there's not those options, if that's not scalable, then for onboarding newcomers, we've got to start to look at the realistic picture of of how do we get these people started? Do do we get a newcomer in and and in an instance where channel management hasn't been abstracted away? Is that realistic to start with? Uh, especially if on-chain is too expensive for 
quick demo transactions. Because the last thing we want to do is demo with shit coins because, you know, <laughs> because they don't they don't have as much, tra- you know, they don't have as much on-chain traffic. And so the fees are still cheap. We don't want to set that precedent for onboarding people for demos because it's just, it's, it's, you're, you're going to drive that person towards shit coins when you're just trying to get a quick demo in. So what's the trade-off? Do you do a demo with Litecoin or do you do a demo with a custodial lightning wallet? Um, so it's, again, and it's going to be different for, for everybody. There's going to be some people listening to this and uh, they're already sharpening their pitchforks at the mention of a custodial <laughs> lightning wallet. But in a world, again, where on-chain is too expensive for a demo transaction and where lightning requires uh, channel management before even getting set up, what are you going to do? Uh, so hopefully, I- I'm really hopeful that by the time there's another crazy mania, we will have some solutions that have abstracted away that channel management or where there's there's auto in incoming liquidity provided by some of these companies like Breeze. So I, I guess we'll see. It's, it's ever changing. It's so difficult to say how you're going to teach this stuff in the future. And that's that's the challenge of being a Bitcoiner, right? You got to adapt to whatever the hell is out there and say, okay, this is what I'm going with for now. And then you got to be ready to inform the people of why that might have changed later on. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I th- a couple of points there. So firstly, yeah, Breeze, great uh, example. I interviewed uh, Roy Scheinfeld on episode 94 for any listeners, listeners yeah, awesome. interested. And um, also there's an interesting one by Async coming out called Phoenix. So I think that one is going to oh. be a really interesting model as well. So what it is, is a phone quick setup model. And you would do, I think, one on-chain payment to the address on there and it will automatically submarine swap it into uh i think it's got like a route hint to a channel that doesn't exist yet for Mm -hmm. this newbie and it will say do you want to create a channel and then boom it'll like take that money and make it into a channel and it is non-custodial with incoming liquidity and somebody else like now you would have to fund that channel so if you're working with a beginner you would maybe send them ten dollars right or maybe they would give you ten dollars and you would just open a channel to you know send them a ten dollar on-chain you know, obviously, again, yeah. as you said, it, this relies on the chain fees being low, but yeah. that's an that's an option. Um, but I guess just more broadly, even if we were to uh, abstract, like not worrying about the abstracting away the technical part of it, what's your view around driving the lightning adoption versus teaching more of the hodl mentality before getting them even in? What's your view there? It's interesting because lightning inherently is very transactional. You just, you want to use it, right? Like you want to, oh, I got to give this guy a tip. I'm going to like, you're just dicking around opening channels and sending back and forth just because it's fun. Like it's, it is, it is a fun thing to, to, to do. Um, And again, I, I think it is dependent on who you're talking to what is why are they here what drove them to come here are they the the sound money screw central banks i mean i think everybody eventually kind of (laughs) leans towards that if you're into bitcoin anyways um so i mean there's gonna be an element of that i think where i'm leaning towards is your 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 long-term hodlings end up being like on-chain you know, uh, your cold card, that kind of where it's like, this is my vault. And then my day to day is like a breeze wallet. Or, you know, if you've got like a Casa or something, um, there's, there's your day to day spending easy sats app, stuff like that. I think, um, there'll, there'll be two. And, and in doing that, it becomes this allusion to today's like checking and savings accounts right? Like, except for with no negative interest rates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that'll end up being it. Like here's, here's your cheap to send, easy to purchase. Um, you know, you want to buy a coffee. Here's, here's your coffee chain and, you know, and then here's your, oh, you want to actually save and, and it'll lend itself to that over time too. If pe- that's the way some people are are holding, because if on chain is a bit more expensive, then it all also encourages you to be a little bit more careful for when you use those on chain like long term holdings 
and move them around. And, and you're a little bit more conscious of that. So you just have a well-connected lightning wallet and you're like, oh, here's my, my spending cash. And when you pull money from lightning and settle and put it into a cold card, when on-chain is a little bit more onerous, you're less likely to spend those savings in the future. So it's almost like this layered approach is as if Bitcoin didn't already encourage saving enough. Um, this approach will further encourage it, in my opinion. Mm, yeah, now, a lot of great points in that. Let's talk about nodes now. So there's a lot of different node products yep. and it's obviously also possible to just run your own command line, etc. So, you know, there's Casa node, there's my node, there's Noddle, there's, um, there's, uh, there's other guys, Raspi Blitz, Raspi Bolt, uh, Lightning in a Box. Uh, there's a couple others. What's your view? What, what are you using for yourself? And what's your experience been like with teaching a beginner how to run the node? Yeah. So uh, when I first jumped into Bitcoin, I, I had to download Qt. Um, it was at the time when Apple had banned all Bitcoin wallets from the App Store. So I And I had an iPhone. So I was like, well, it looks like I'm running Bitcoin on my computer. And, and Qt was like, what you did, I suppose. Electrum seemed scary to me at the time. Um, so, and and that, you know, that synced the entire blockchain. I didn't even know I was running a cop. Like, I didn't understand what was happening at the time. Um, now, uh, I, I have a CASA that I use. Um, I, you know, I have the SATS app set up. You can, I, I, took off the autopilot on the channel management and, and manually uh, set up some channels myself. Uh, but then more recently, I also uh, grab a uh, downloaded my node um, and I've been playing around with that. Damn, that is, that is some impressive shit for some, fr- like it's free software. So like I bought a raspberry Pi four uh, and just like a one terabyte drive. And I got some, uh, I got these beautiful clear cases for them and everything. I, yeah, they're, they're purring behind me as we speak. Uh, and, and yeah, so I, I set those up, downloaded the software and it, it was actually, it's, I, I did a tweet on it and, and, and said all the things I was like, Oh, I downloaded this and I connected my Electrum and booted up an electric server and I connected my, my uh whatever wall you know my block stream green to my node so i did this whole description and and then i think it was alex miller the guy who originally did the don't buy bitcoin because it's gonna crash video which was like some viral like making fun of people saying that it's always gonna crash because it keeps on crashing up uh he commented he's like really is it that easy because it was (laughs) this like ridiculous long complicated tweet um so it, it sounds more complicated than it was, but really it was it, it was a fun, easy project. Honestly, for those that dive in, and I appreciate them for what they are separately. Like Casa is is such a breeze um, when it comes to somebody that gets to the point where I you know I have my own wallet, uh, I I have my own hardware wallet, and I want to play with Lightning, but I want I. I'm curious and I want to get my, get my toes wet. Casa is fantastic for that because it's, it's not scary. It's so not scary. You plug it in and then you go to like Casa dash node dot local on your web browser and you, it's just there and it's just working and you can autopilot things and it's, it's pretty seamless. Like it's not a difficult thing to wrap your head around and what they're doing is it's really beautiful for those, like I said, those incremental steps. And and that's kind of what it was for me too. Like it was, it was, oh, I'm going to get some hardware, some dedicated hardware. And Casa was just like this beautiful step. But then I, you know, I get, I'm a curious guy. I like to play around. So the, the Minode thing, it's, I'm pretty blown away by it. Like it has everything. Like, so it, you know, downloads a, an entire, copy of the blockchain. Um, it has like a quick sync function as well so that you can get started before the blockchain is completely finished downloading. It runs a lightning node. You have ride the lightning L and D hub. You, uh, can run an Electrum server, which means you have your own block explorer. And a lot of people don't realize like how much information you could leak just by going to a block explorer on the web and looking up a transaction, but uh, like you're leaking your IP address 
and then you're looking up a specific transaction. And if you're looking up other transactions that are linked to that address, then somebody might get a pretty good picture of all of the Bitcoin that you own. Um, and so having so like just so many things built in and they actually, they just added, I think they just added uh BTC pay server. Oh, they're going to. So they've added it, Docker. And uh, I think Taylor is trying to do it in a sequential or incremental approach. So first get Docker, and then he's going to look at some of these things that require Docker, such as BTC Pay Server and also Dojo by Samurai Wallet. Which is, again, like this one-stop shop for all of these things. And the dashboard is so nice and compartmentalized, and you can go in and play around with settings. And it's just, it's great. And until you see that in front of you, you don't realize like this this incredible software stack you don't realize how much of the that responsibility you were pushing to third parties how much of that information was just being routed through other people um and it's it's like this liberating feeling of oh i this is me now i am doing this and and i mean you can dive even further like you can <laughs> you can you can be running everything like something like a raspberry blitz and you're like doing command line and i'm starting to learn a bit of linux and uh so it for me it was like the next incremental step and and learning some some command line and linux is is kind of my next step and uh, yeah it's it's beautiful so like there's there's like you were saying there's a ton of options out there um the noddle guys are great i got to meet them in riga and they're doing amazing things. I love that they're incorporating like the dojo stuff. Um, yeah, so there's no shortage of either plug and play or DIY solutions for running a node. And honestly, if if you're listening to this right now and and you feel like you've gotten to that cusp of you're totally comfortable with your non-custodial Bitcoin wallet, you have a hardware wallet, and you feel like you've kind of stagnated with where you've been learning, run a, run a damn node, like start, just, just grab whatever, pick any of these projects. If you're really timid, get a CASA and they basically handhold you through everything. And there's like a great team there that can, um, you know, Brian, God, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Lockhart. Brian Lockhart. Yeah. He's awesome. He's super awesome. And like you give him a shout out on Twitter and, and he'll point you in the right direction. But there's, there's a lot of great guys there that, that will help you along. And like, uh, the, the, the dude, oh God, I'm forgetting, but my node, uh, uh, Taylor, 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 again, he's awesome. And he's done this. Like it's, it's free to download. Like he has like a, a, a um, an extra thing that you can subscribe to get some additional features. But I mean, the, the amount of power and the, the incredible hardware or software stack that you can get just running your own um, without having to pay anything is incredible. Or if you want them to build it for you, you have that option too. And it's just, I I think it's getting easier and easier. Uh, And so like, I don't know. I don't know about yourself. You've you've done a lot of playing around with this kind of stuff too. Like, do you gravitate towards one or the other? Yeah. So for me, again, it's different strokes, different folks, right? I think of Casa. Like, I like again. Like, I like all of these options. I have a Casa. I have a my node. I have a Noddle. I have like a separate laptop node. I have a BTC Pay server. Let's not forget, BTC Pay server is a node as yeah. well. So. I've just got a range. But again, people like you and me are in the scenario where we need to be familiar with these because we're trying to teach people. Yeah. So for me personally, I uh, typically recommend them to go down usually the Casa or the MyNode or a Noddle, depending on what sort of person they are and how much money they're willing to spend and how advanced they are. I think MyNode is great for like an enthusiast, someone who's Mm going to put in the time and the, the work and then... then they can learn a bit more as they do it. And then if they really want to get even further advanced, then then you start looking into, okay, I'm going to learn command line. I'm going to learn Raspberry Bolt. I'm going to do those setups. But for you, have have you had any difficulty communicating why someone should run a node, especially if they're a beginner level person? And then have you had any experiences trying to guide them down that pathway? Uh, You know what? I always tell them the story of, of Node2x. So if, if somebody asks and they're like, why are you doing this? 
And I'm like, all right, gather around children and tell you a story. (laughs) (laughs) And so I tell them, I'm like, listen, this is the power that a node gives you. Every major company in the space, like 90% of all of the Bitcoin miners, like all of these massive companies, all of these like supposedly super important people and, and, and like all of the hash rate, like everything was against us. And everybody came together and said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fork Bitcoin. We're going to change it. We're going to change the underlying rules, which was like a direct compromise of like the hard promises that we had been banking on. And we're going to install our own group of developers that will take the project in whatever direction we please, which could be to your benefit or could not be. We'll see. And it was unprecedented. All people did was say, hey, I'm running a node and whatever you do, it does not matter. I will not listen. It's like this intolerant minority changed the course of the most important technology that will will hit in our lifetimes. And that kind of power is, is, it was the single most bullish moment in all of Bitcoin that I've seen so far, like to see all of those companies, all of those people that thought they had that kind of power back down with their tails between their legs and say, oh, our bad. Whoops. Thought we could get away with it. Guess not. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's like, it's kind of like, so not running a node is like letting somebody else tell you what Bitcoin is. It's like if you had money in the bank and you were like, I've got a million dollars. And then the next day the bank was like, you got a million, but it's actually a million Venezuelan boulevards. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and you were powerless to say no. And they've just said like, no, but this is what dollars are now. And you're like, but I didn't consent to that. Well, you kind of did because you left the responsibility with us. And so by running your own node, you're saying, this is what Bitcoin is and I'm not going to budge and nobody can tell me different. And a lot of people, they allude to it like voting, but it's not, it's not really voting. It's like if you voted in an election and no matter who won, you still got to go by the policies of the person you voted for. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. That's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you need stories and things to help motivate people, things for people as well. Uh, so, look, we're coming to sort of roughly the end of time, but uh, I just wanted to get a quick update from you. What's the latest with Bull Bitcoin and uh, 21X as well? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Bull Bitcoin chugging away like mad. Uh, so, those unfamiliar, it's up, up here in Canada, basically an online uh broker where you can buy, sell Bitcoin or spend Bitcoin on Canadian bills, things like that. Um, We just launched a product called Bull Bitcoin Prime. And that's for like uh, people that are buying more than $25,000 worth of Bitcoin. It's like a a personally tailored service where uh, you make a purchase and you have somebody like hold your hand all all along the way. You get like preferential um, settlement. Uh, There's a help with dollar cost averaging. Um, so a lot of great things there. Uh, we just did a rebrand of, of Bitcoin outlet, which is like our, our dope ass merch. Uh, so if you have, if you haven't seen it, it's like, I, I love, I it's, it's slowly replaced my entire wardrobe. (laughs) Only wear, (laughs) I like only wear bull Bitcoin stuff now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was called Bitcoin outlet. We're gradually moving towards, uh, it's 21 X.io. Um, just a little bit more of, we found like an edgy feel to it, uh, I suppose, but yeah. Um, and lots of fun stuff kind of going on in the, in the background with, with bull Bitcoin, um, cipher node, uh, a, a little project that Francis and some of the devs have been working on open source project, uh, for, for a full Bitcoin software stack, um, continues to chug along. So if you haven't checked that out, cyphernode.io is another cool thing that you can look at, but yeah, things are great. And the, and then the channel, yeah, the channel has been, uh, been super awesome. There's been, uh, I've, I've started to notice like a, a, uh, an uptick of new people checking it out. Um, and so I, I, now I do the educational stuff, but I still do like, I do basically like daily news, like whatever I found interesting. So it's very Bitcoin centric, but if there's like a funny shitcoin story, I'll throw it in. And, uh, 
And uh, I always do like the side chat. So as I air it as a premiere, but then I'll jump into like the chat as it airs for the first time and, and get to talk with people about whatever's going on. So yeah, it's been, it's been super awesome. I have a blast. Fantastic, man. Well, look, uh, we'll put all the links in the uh, show notes. And uh, look, thank you very much for joining me today, Ben. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. Hope you enjoyed that discussion on helping newcomers learn more about Bitcoin. One other point just to add is you can also think of it like you should run the infrastructure for your family and friends. So, for example, you might run a samurai wallet dojo and then get your family and friends to use the mobile app but paired with your own dojo. Or you might set up an Electrum server for them to use their hardware wallets and then connect through to your Electrum server. So reminder for anyone who wants cold cards, you can use the code Lavera at coinkite.com to get a discount. Uh, if you want to advertise on the show, email me. It's stefanlevera at pm.me. And also the show notes, the transcripts, they're on my website, stefanlevera.com. That's it from me. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.